Good morning. Welcome to our Move series, second week in a series about how we believe God is on the move and moving our hearts. And even as we sang that last song, I can't help but believe probably if I had people raise their hands in here today from the last week or so that I would say, if you don't feel like God is moving, you don't see where God is moving, that today you're singing that by faith, trusting that God is still moving. And we trust in the midst of brokenness and pain and hurt that God is in the midst of the darkness, that he is the light of the world. It's actually uh, why we do the things we do around here as Pastor Brandon talked around about the next gen ministries. It's why we do those things. It's because uh, what we do here matters. Uh, We believe that God is moving in our hearts and our lives, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. And today we're talking about the movements of God and and, and where he's working. I'm excited. I've been excited about this series because I do believe that God wants to work in every single one of our hearts and in every single one of our lives. And I'm, I'm focused on what I believe that God wants to do, not on what he's done. I believe that God has something for each of us to look forward to that he wants to do in our life. You may not know that he's working in your life right now, but he is. You may not see that he's working in your life, but he is. We wanna, in this series, help us to see the movement of God in our life and where he's moving. We want us to have us to look to the future that God has for us and not just dwell on the past because I do believe that God has a future for each and every one of us. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited because I believe God does move, is moving in our lives, wants to move in our lives. Do you believe that God wants to move in our lives? Do you believe that God wants to move in your life today? He does. God wants to move in our lives. He wants to move in my life. So today, as we kind of look at things, I believe that the, the death of any organization, whether it be a business, whether it be a school, whether it be a church, I believe the death of any organization begins when the memories become greater than the dreams, when the memories become greater than our hopes, because there's something that's powerful in a, in a hope, in a future, in what God has for us. I love the, the verse I shared last week. It's kind of a foundation verse that I keep sharing with us. Forget the former things. Isaiah said, do not dwell on the past. It doesn't say don't, don't learn from the past. It doesn't say don't celebrate the past. Don't, don't, don't look at the past. It's just saying don't dwell there. Don't get stuck there. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I believe that God is working in every person's life, whether they know it or not, whether they see it or not, whether they perceive it or not, whether they even respond or not, even in the junk and the crud that some are going through today, I believe that God is at work. God is working in our lives. He wants to move in our hearts. He wants to move in our lives. And whether you know it or not, God is at work in your life. He's moving in your life. Whether you perceive it or not, whether you respond to it or not, God is working in your life. And this series about, is about helping us to see the movements of God and where God is moving in our lives. Because God is on the move. We've seen throughout the scriptures four moves that God uses to transform his people, to change lives, and to change this world. The first move that we talked about last week was to invite into community. That God uses community. God has always used people to put himself on display. 
to reveal his glory and who he is. From the very beginning, he said it's not good for man to be alone. He created us for community. In the very beginning, he established a special people for himself, uh, the chosen, the Jews, the Israelites. He chose them for the purpose of displaying who he is, his glory, and to reveal himself, not just to the Jews, but to the rest of the world. And Abraham, he said to the promise to Abraham, I am gonna bless all the world through you and we are, the, we are the, the promise of that blessing. We're the fulfillment of that blessing. God wants to move and he's always moved through people. And so last week we talked about inviting into community because that's how God works. It's why we invite and why you've probably been invited to church at some point because we believe that God works through invitation, that God wants to, you to experience community, but not just so you can experience some friendship, and which is all good. I love friends. I even love my chief's friends. I, I love all my friends. But I, I believe that God wants to, us experience community because he wants to engage with God which is where we're going today, that God wants us to encounter him. He works through community because he wants to encounter him. Now, last week we talked about the movements of God and, and how God worked in the Old Testament and through his chosen Jewish people. But then Jesus came along and he threw open the doors of invitation. He, he spread a wide net that says, hey, I want everyone I want to invite everyone. I want you to go out there and invite everyone. This is, this is for everybody. This invitation is for everybody to receive. And Jesus kind of shook up the religious Jewish culture of the day. He kind of turned the world upside down. The religious uh, leaders of the day, they were just kind of, they were, they were messed up at when Jesus came into the picture. You see, they had kind of an orderly thing that they just kind of followed these rules. And if you did this rule and you followed these traditions, uh, you knew who was in and you knew who was out. It was very exclusionary. Hey, you're in if you do this, this, and this. You're out if you, if you don't do this. It, it was very clear for them who's in, who's out. Jesus he came and he spoke a different language, not an exclusionary language, but an inclusionary language that says, hey, I'm wanting to invite everyone. I'm wanting to restore you, redeem you, reconcile you, forgive you. I want to invite you to be a part of my family. And so there's this great invitation that takes place. And in this invitation, it leads us to engage with God. So the whole purpose of the invitation is to engage with God, to encounter God. Uh, all of us were probably invited at some point to church or invited into a relationship with God or given that invitation. It was all for the purpose that we might have an encounter with God, that we might engage with him. So this second week, we're looking at what it is to engage with God. And even though last week we talked about how Jesus opened up the invitation, he spread wide nets and, and he, gave, he gave a wide invitation for people to come to him. The new early church was struggling with this new way of thinking, this new way of living, this new way that Jesus opened up. They were struggling, even though they'd seen and heard the teachings of Jesus and what he was trying to do, they were still struggling with the old. They were struggling with the change. And so today I want us to look at Acts chapter 15. If you want to join, if you have your Bibles or if your smartphones or you can join um, just behind me in the screens today online. You can join me. I want to I want to share Acts chapter fifteen because this is the early church, and the early church. It was exciting times, exciting days. 
It was rapid growth. Um, Jesus, uh, I'm going to back up before I get to Acts chapter 15. Jesus, uh, upon his resurrection, and then upon his ascension, when he returned to the Father, he, he gave instructions hey, go to the upper room and wait for my Holy Spirit to come upon you and I'm gonna give you power to be my witnesses to the world and we're gonna spread this good news everywhere. And in Acts chapter one, 120 gathered in an upper room. They prayed as Jesus asked them to. The Holy Spirit came on them and in Acts chapter two, Peter was bold, got up and preached a message. And in one day, that number of that church grew from 120 to 3,000. That church became diverse because there was all sorts of different languages that they heard in their own language from the, from the Spirit's interpretation and the tongues that they spoke that day for the purpose that more people could hear about him. And then in chapter four, it spread to uh, 5,000. So there's a rapid growth taking place here. And when it says 5,000, it's really more than that because it's just recording. It's just the culture of the day. They recorded the men there. Uh, women count, children count. And so there was 10, 15, 20, who knows how many uh, that had come to Christ and the church was growing. It was rapid fire. And then we get to chapter eight. It was so disruptive to the early Jewish Uh, leaders or religious leaders that they begin to persecute the early church. And in chapter eight, we see the persecution of the early church and lives were being, um, uh, lives were being dismantled, uprooted. The whole purpose of this was to stop this movement, to stop this movement of Jesus and his good news to forgive and to change the world. And so there was this whole movement to stop in chapter eight, but God took what they meant for bad and what the enemy meant for bad and he turned it into good. And that's what God does. He turns what could be and meant to be for bad and he can turn it into our good and what was meant to stop this movement actually led to spread this movement and thousands more came to Christ we know we don't know how many but by the time we get to chapter 15 where we're going to start today we see that the one of the first church meetings uh, has taken place and is about to take place because they don't know what to do everything's been uh, so disruptive and by the way if Jesus comes into your life, it's going to be disruptive. It, it, there's there's going to be disruption. It's, 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 going to be, it's going to bring about change. It's not a bad disruption. It's a good disruption. But don't just think you're going to go and follow Jesus and it's going to stay the same. Nothing's going to be different. Jesus came to change us and form us into his family and into his image. And so chapter 15, we have this first meeting of the early church. And I'm going to start in verse one. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So these early Jewish believers were like, we got a problem here. Uh, We got all these Gentiles that are coming to Jesus. Uh, By the way, we're the Gentiles. There might be a few Jews in here today, but most of us are Gentiles. What most of us um, would fall into this category. And then many of them were coming to faith. And, and in this moment, they were like, hey, th- this, is, 
This, they don't look like us. They don't act like us. Their convictions aren't the same of us, as us. They're doing some things that are different than us. And we got to rein this thing in. We can't just have Jesus. We got to get back to some of the rules that we have going on here. So we need these guys to be circumcised. And as I said to the first service today, I really don't want to explain circumcision. We all know what that is, correct? So it's a very awkward conversation to talk about that. And if your children don't know, have a fun conversation this afternoon when you get home. Um, They wanted them to be circumcised. It was important that they be circumcised. So this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them because Paul and Barnabas had been sharing the gospel. They'd been sharing this good news. So many Gentiles were coming to Christ, receiving this good news and they were excited about it. But so it created, they they were like, we got to debate this because good things are happening. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers that were in Antioch to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the headquarters. It was the, 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 the place where the church was birthed. And so they said, hey, well, let's send you to headquarters. Let's send you to Jerusalem to see what the apostles, what our elders and leaders, let's take this question to them. And the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. So they're on their way to Jerusalem, but they're not getting there too quickly because they can't help but stop and tell the Phoenicians and the Samarians, which Samarians, if you know the story of the, of the, of the, the Samaritan that Jesus talked about in one of his parables, we know that the Jews did not like Samaritans. That was a, they were not as good as the, as the Jews were. They weren't as pure as what the Jews were. They were Jews, but they were not as pure. And so they didn't like each other. They didn't interact with one another. They didn't talk to one another. And here, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're stopping to tell everyone in Samaria and Phoenicia what's happening with the Gentiles. All these stories of how people are coming to Jesus, people's sins are being forgiven, their lives are being changed, they're wanting to follow the way, they're wanting to follow the way of Christ, and they're excited, they can't help themselves, they're telling the story. And, and, and when we... When we have good news, you can't help but share it. You can't help but share it with others. When, when people's lives start going from death to life, when people start having their sins forgiven, when people that we thought would never come to, would never come to Christ are coming to Christ because the Gentiles were people, the Jews thought, these people aren't gonna come to Christ, not in our lifetime. It's probably not gonna happen. We all probably have had people in our lives that, we'd like to say that our faith is really strong and we believe, hey, this person can come to Christ, but because of the constant rejection, maybe because of their constant rejection, this little doubts begin to seep up in our mind and we begin to think they'll never change. They'll never become a follower of Jesus. When those people become followers of Jesus, we start getting excited and we start sharing things and that's what's happening here they're so excited that the gentiles are starting to engage with god they're starting to encounter god and so this made the uh, news this news made all the believers very glad there's a lot of things that we can disagree about there's a lot of things that we don't always share in common but if there's one thing that we all get excited about as believers whether Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational, Nazarene, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic, what we all get excited about is when people come to Jesus, when people find forgiveness of sins, when people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it makes us all 
glad and they couldn't help but share this. And so uh, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that had been done through them. I feel the chapter should stop right there. It should be over. It should be the drop mic. Hey guys, just look at the evidence. Look what God is doing. Look how he's changing lives. Look at all those who are wanting to follow Jesus, who are repenting of their sins. Their, their lives are being transformed. We should just put a period here, stop, move on to the next chapter. But there's more. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, and sometimes we put people in camps of good and bad, and sometimes that's not the case. Uh, these aren't bad Pharisees. These aren't bad guys. I mean, sometimes we, we've looked at them in a bad way, but these are actually, it says they're believers, but they belong to the party of the Pharisees. And it's, when we start getting in camps or parties, we start having problems too. And they, they stood up and when they should have been all excited that all the people that are coming to Christ and all the people's lives who are being changed, they stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And I've thought a lot about this this week. And I've had a lot of awkward conversations in my mind. I thought, what would it have been like to pastor the church at that time when all these people are coming to Jesus, they're sharing the good news, all these incredible stories are taking place, and yet there's a small group of people that want to start a circumcision class. (laughs) Hey, church, next week we're not starting a new believers class, we're starting a circumcision class. Who would like to come? Who's excited? All the women and children are coming in, but the guys are in the parking lot. They are not even getting out of their cars. I mean, have you thought about this? And then I thought about what happens since it's a private thing and we don't know physically who's, they're just going off tradition. They're just, growing, they're just going off what is customary. But what happens when they start getting, who's gonna be the inspection team? What guys are gonna be a part of that? I mean, there's all these problems that I start having with this. When the apostles and elders, they met to consider this question after much discussion. And I was thinking, Sometimes we don't have discussions. We're, we want to make a point, but we don't want to make a difference. We flip off a few things on Facebook. We make our point and we write off those who disagree with us. And we make friend, more friends of those who agree with us. We preach to the choir. We love to make a point. We, do, we don't like to make a difference. And I just look at these apostles in the early church. And I thought, what good examples are they to us? That in their maturity, I mean, you have to believe they're so excited about what God's doing in the church. They're so excited about all the people coming to him that they could just say, guys, stop being idiots. Do you see what's taking place? God's changing lives. He's taking people from death to life. They're finding forgiveness of sins. They're wanting to follow the way, period, done, over, But no, in their maturity, in their love for the church and the people, not wanting to leave anyone behind, they considered the question. They had much discussion. Then Peter got up. Now, Peter used to speak first, think later. And now Peter, God's changed his life. Jesus Christ has changed his life. Now Peter listens first and he speaks last. And Peter got up and he dressed them. He said, brothers, 
you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips. That's going back to chapter 10. That, 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 you know, I thought Cornelius and the Gentiles, I thought they were, I thought they were dirty. I thought they weren't pure like us and we weren't going to have anything to do with them. But Jesus made it very clear to me. He wants to blow open this invitation. He wants to invite everyone. And you remember, he told me to go to Cornelius, not to consider him and his family unclean, but to invite them into the fellowship, tell them about Jesus so they could engage with God. They could engage in his love. And the message of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart. Man looks upon the outward appearance. God looks upon the heart. God who knows the heart showed that they accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. He didn't pre-qualify them. He didn't disqualify them based on their previous actions, behavior, reputation, past he invites us just the way that we are. He doesn't discriminate against any of us, no matter what we've done, for he purified their hearts by faith. God is the one that purifies hearts. We talked about last week that we've been released of the responsibility that we need to judge and condemn people. We've been released of the responsibility that we need to clean people up. God is the one who cleans. So our job is to fish. Our job is to fish for people and we let God do the cleaning of people's lives and clean our lives and our friends' lives. Now then, why, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? The Old Testament law simply was the purpose that it pointed out that we break the law. They weren't able to keep it. And if you've broken one law, scripture says you've broken all of God's laws. You're a lawbreaker. And he's saying, why are you trying to put a yoke on these guys that you yourselves can't live up to? You can't live up to this. So why are you making these guys try to live up to this? Peter says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. And this is a core doctrine of our faith and our belief that we are saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast, no one can brag about it. We can't say that we've earned it or we deserve it. We are simply thankful for the mercy and the grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ that he gives us freely. We're saved by grace. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among them and the Gentiles and through them. They couldn't help talk about all that God was doing. They were so excited about what God was doing. Last week, I closed out early because I didn't really feel like I had time to finish the story in first service. It would have been fair for me to tell the second service. But it's a good time for me to share that when we invite people, and when we don't do the judging and condemning, but we just fish for people and let God do the cleaning and he engages in their hearts and in their minds, this is what happens. I told you about Sean. Sean is a sophomore in high school. His parents divorced. His brother and sister went with mom who'd had an affair. His, he went with his dad whose dad was no angel. He was rough. He was harsh. Um, I just 
I'm not going to go deeper than that because we all have a past. We all have stuff, but there was verbal abuse. I mean, it was a hard place to live. And Sean is the oldest, went to live with his dad, his brothers, uh, his brother Monty and his sister Christy went to live with mom. It was an awful breakup, awful split up. All divorces are breakups since all are difficult. Some of us know that pain in here. In his sophomore year, um, he went to high school at a very rich high school in Kansas City with one pair of corduroys, three shirts. That's how he started his year out until his grandma heard about what was happening. His dad was the captain of the police department there. And his captain, his captain he was good at keeping and helping keep people accountable to the laws of the county and the city, but he wasn't keeping the laws in his own home. And Arlen began to, as being the captain, he had to go out with the pastor um, of the local church there, the college church of the Nazarene. His name was Paul Cunningham. And Paul and Arlen would go on calls to notify next of kin that terrible job that someone has to do to notify them that you know a tragedy had, had taken place and they had lost a loved one. And, and in that relationship of these calls together, Paul, the pastor, began to have conversations and just begin to share his story and begin to invite and invite him to church and share God's love with him. And, and uh, probably thinking that Arlen's not listening. Arlen was about as far from God as you possibly could be, but something began to happen. And through that invitation, God began to engage with Arlen and Arlen started coming to church and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And somewhere between my uh, Sean's sophomore and junior year, he watched his dad uh, receive God's love and forgiveness and mercy. And he began to watch his dad. And over the next year, he began to watch his dad's life change. He, he wasn't perfect, but he just began to watch this man become drastically different than what he'd been before, transformed before his very eyes. And he began to, he began to think for himself and he was broken and lost himself. But he, he came to the place around his senior year and he'd watched his dad long enough. And he said, if God can change my dad's life, he can change anybody's life. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. And Sean gave his life to Jesus Christ. Arlen was following Jesus. It began to change uh, their family. Forgiveness began to take place. Uh, new life, new hope, new peace, new joy entered into their lives. Not everything perfect, but God was doing a work in their lives. A few years later, Sean uh, went to Mid-America Nazarene University. He accepted a call into ministry later than that. And 36 years later, he's been married to my sister. He's been the husband and the dad to three kids and two grandkids that we would all want. Faithful, loving. He came from divorced parents, divorced grandparents, great grandparents. He knew nothing to divorce. It is the grace of God that has changed his life and changed their trajectory. And his son is now in youth ministry. His son-in-law is in youth ministry in California. And that doesn't mean you're better because you're in ministry. But I'm just telling you, God took what was broken and lost and far from God and he transformed them and changed them. And, 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 and I believe the one of the reasons Sean went into the pastorate ministry and I know over thousands have come and been baptized through his ministry is because he said if God can change my dad's life he can change my life he can change anybody's life and you remember a few years ago 
than you thought something was strange was happening. I think I even wore Chiefs jersey on the Super Bowl Sunday when you went to the first Super Bowl. And you thought I was rooting for you guys because I loved you and I'm a good pastor. No. <laughs> it was because Arlen was battling congestive heart failure and only had a few months to live. And he and his son and his grandson had not experienced watching the Chiefs win a Super Bowl together in, their, in his lifetime. And I still seen the video and the pictures of just a couple months before Arlen passed. And you see, I didn't know the old Arlen. I just knew new Arlen. I just knew transformed lover of Jesus, follower of God, not a perfect guy, but a guy that loved the Lord, that loved Jesus, was thankful for the sins that had been forgiven in his life. And I was rooting for Arlen that day. And that's why I've never rooted for the chief since. I didn't want you to lead you astray. God does a work. God does a work in our lives. He changes us. And the whole assembly, they got excited because the Gentiles were coming to faith through him. And when they finished this long meeting, they finished, James spoke up. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the one who, who, uh, who was not a follower of Jesus prior to the resurrection. Because James, who would... Who would follow their brother as Lord? <laughs> Who would say that that's going to be my savior? No one would do that. But when a resurrection takes place and you see your brother rise from the grave, okay, he's not just my brother in my, anymore. He's my Lord and my savior. James was now a follower of Jesus and James spoke up and he said, brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It's ruins. I will rebuild. The enemy wants to destroy your life. He's there to uh, kill, steal, and destroy. But God wants to rebuild your life, rebuild your, if you're on your second marriage, your third, God wants to rebuild your, your marriages. He wants to build your relationships. He wants to rebuild your life. He wants to restore you that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, that everyone, that the invitation would be swung wide open for everyone to receive God's love. Even all the Gentiles, you and me, who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, James says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, that we should fish with wide nets, that we should not pre-qualify, disqualify anyone based on their reputation, based on their past, what we know about them in the community, but we should embrace everyone with wide arms, with wide nets, letting them know that God loves them, let God clean them up. And it doesn't mean that there's not any standards, that all the standards have been thrown out. It's just like, no, this is too much. Over 600 rules, laws, and traditions we can't even keep. We're lawbreakers, but hey, we... Let's, let's help them grow in their faith. Jesus loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And he's like, hey, we want these Gentiles. We want more for them than salvation. We want them to be transformed. We want them to be thriving followers of Jesus. So instead of all these regulations, over 600 laws, instead we should write to them. And instead of circumcision, tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, 
from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Just a couple things. Tell them to not be polluted by idolatry. Idolatry, I wrote down the definition in my Bible, is extreme admiration, love, or reverence for someone or something. The key word is extreme. It's okay that we have loves and admirations for our families, for our kids, for our spouses, for our jobs. But nothing is to come before Jesus. God is wants to be first in our life. God wants to be preeminent. He wants to be dominant. He wants to be Lord of our life. So don't let anything get, pollute you. Because that's what, when we get caught up in all the other things, it just pollutes and dilutes our faith. And tell them to abstain from sexual immorality because uh, uh, our, sexual, our sexuality, which was a good thing created by God, created impurity, and we are the ones that, We've messed it up. And so it's not politically correct. It's not kosher with everyone. But we believe in the scriptures that, that sex is between a married man and woman. If you're single here today, it's a hard ask. But if you're single today, God is asking that you stay celibate until you're in a married relationship. If you, are in a mar- if you end up in a married relationship, he calls us to honor God with our bodies. This isn't for anybody. This is if we're going to be a believer, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus. He said, hey, I, I, I want more for you. I want the best for you. God put these protections in for us. They're not to, to be a killjoy. It's to protect us. It's to help us. God wants the best for our lives. And the best for our lives is to abstain from things that are going to pollute us, dilute our faith, and keep us from being all that God wants us to be. God wants to move in our lives. God wants to move in your life and my life. I believe that God is on the move in our lives. And I'm excited for some of the things that we're getting to see God do. I wish you could be in staff meetings on Monday mornings when we get to talk about the things that we get to see God doing in your lives. Nothing gets us more excited than to see you take steps in your faith, drawing closer to him, desiring to live out a life that honors and pleases God. No one's perfect, but a desire to live a life that is God honoring. Like one of the lives here recently that we've talked about a lot, we've been excited about, but I wanna share Trey Cox's story today. I always said I believed in Jesus when I was younger. Um, Someone asked if I believed, I'd say yes. Yeah, but Jesus was never on my mind, never on my heart. Could never, I never, I didn't know it. I had a relationship with him. Around sophomore year to my going into my junior year, facing a lot of rough times and fell into sin, a lot of sin and addiction that completely steered me in a different direction. I was really just, I was lost. I didn't know where I was going in life. I wasn't thinking about the future. All I cared about was just getting high. I didn't care about. Uh, knowing Jesus, I didn't care about the few people around me who loved me. There was one night in specific, it was really late, probably about, it was like 3 a.m. and, and uh, I was just sitting there uh, watching TV and I was watching it for a while and I got these spotters in my eyes. I started rubbing my eyes, thought it's because it was late and I was just looking at a screen for too long and whenever I kind of started rubbing my eyes, these spotters turned into these crazy scary faces like I really didn't know what was going on I had a lot of anxiety my heart was beating it was 
It was a surreal experience. I didn't know what was going on. And it probably lasted maybe two minutes. And just like that, just like that, out of nowhere, it just stopped. And I had like the most instant relief and I've never felt that before. And right away, Jesus came into my mind, went into my dresser. I knew I had a Bible in there, but I didn't touch it in years. I just knew it was in there. I dug for it and I ended up finding it. Uh, went, sat down and just opened it up, kind of just skimming through it, just reading through it a little bit, just skimming. And uh, I felt this presence come on to me and it was like every positive emotion that you could think of, like hit me at once. I started crying tears of joy, like I've never, I had never experienced anything like that. And uh, it was the Holy Spirit just coming upon me and I never felt that ever before. Immediately after all that happened, uh, I instantly got sober and freed from addiction from weed. I had no urges to smoke weed and I had no urges. I was freed from addiction completely. I wanted to know more and I've never been a big reader at all. Uh, never really enjoyed it. So started opening up the Bible daily. After the first couple days, I started telling it to pretty much everybody. And a lot of people looked at me like I was crazy, didn't know what I was talking about. And this is when I started getting kind of confused because I was like, started questioning myself in a way maybe like, did, did that actually happen? Like what was going on? Uh, somebody kept popping into my mind and it was Noah. And he kept popping into my mind because we went to high school together. We've talked a few times, never really like knew him as a friend, but I just knew that he followed Jesus. So like probably three, four days after, I sent him a text and told him, just told him what happened. He reached back out to me the next day. Uh, we got together and we had a long talk. He really helped guide me and he ended up leading me to uh, church. He invited me out to church and instantly right away I felt fellowship. and people who understood you, uh, people understood what was going on, and just positive people, and you could see the Holy Spirit in them, like, you felt that Holy Spirit in you come, but you could see it in them as well, and if you've been thinking about it, you've been feeling like something's maybe been tugging on your heart, and, or maybe you've been seeing, if you want to call it, maybe you've seen, seen some signs of maybe about this Jesus thing, I'd say, why, why not try it out, I mean, Give it, just try just try to get to know Jesus, you know? Uh, just sit down, say a, say a prayer asking for him to show, reveal himself to you. You know, ask him, ask for the Holy Spirit and truly mean it with your heart, you know? Like, if you're searching for something, whether it's love, fellowship, or just want to be accepted by someone, he's going to accept you. So just with your whole heart, just ask for the Holy Spirit and he, he'll, he'll show you, he'll show you. In God good this morning. Thank you, Trey, for sharing your story with us today. Would you stand with us today? I'm going to pray with us before we go. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes today. I was just thinking that the same thing that Jesus has done for Arlen and Sean and many of us here and what he's done for Trey, God wants to do in you. You may be even wondering what is the draw? Why have I been drawn to go to church? Why, why have I keep getting invited? What is, it's the whole purpose. God wants to engage with you. He wants you to have an encounter with him. He wants to change your life for the better. He wants to give you everything in forgiveness of sins. He wants to give you joy, peace, and life. He who has the son has life. So as we pray today, and as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I, I'm just believing that 
There may be someone here this morning or some ones that today is the day that you're going to do what Trey says. Try Jesus. Give him a shot. Watch him begin to change your life. It doesn't mean you'll know everything. You're going to become perfect or anything like that. It just means you're going to start following him. If that's you today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just raise your hand? I won't call you out and embarrass you, but I will pray for you before I leave. Will you just raise your hand high where I can see it? Where? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. More on this side or you don't know what side. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would you, you can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Heavenly Father, for this prayer that we're about to pray together as a church, that we pray as a confirmation and affirmation of our faith. For these that have raised their hand as, as, as just a step of faith that they're wanting to trust and believe in you. I pray, Lord, that you would just let them know how much you love them how much your plans are good for them and how much you want to give them your peace, your joy, and your love. So with your eyes, you can open them and raise your heads. We pray a prayer together as an affirmation, confirmation of our faith. And also for those that raise their hand today that they don't pray this alone. So let's pray this. Repeat after me. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins. And was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who raised their hands today? God bless you. See you next Sunday.